When an event occurs that impacts a nation. Something's wrong here. Something's really wrong. Can't have happened. And we fight. We fight like hell. And if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. We're in, we're in, we're in, we're in. We're seeing protesters overcome the police. The police are now running back into the Capitol building. We have cheers from the protesters. When the rioters rampaged through the Capitol, communities of color couldn't help but notice something. Suppose this had been a Black Lives Matter rally. Suppose this had been people of color uh, storming the Capitol. Executives from businesses large and small are left wondering, how do we respond when we don't know what to say? Communicators are left with the task of drafting a message in response to a social or political issue that not only shapes the reputation of the company, but of the leader itself. Staying quiet about any issue that impacts the country may no longer be an option. Speaking out, however, can lead to an unpredictable outcome. On the podcast this week, what executives should know about speaking out on political and social issues. Welcome to the Confident Communications Podcast, where I help communicators find the right response at the right time and deliver it in the right place. Last week's events at the United States Capitol left a lot of questions for a lot of people. With more information continuing to emerge about how rioters stampeded into the building, who the people were, and what were their true intentions, left in the wake a presidency in turmoil. What also isn't entirely clear is how leaders should respond when the country is left with the gut punch from the weak, but also with an eye trained on the people who are and who are not responding about the siege on the Capitol. In today's fractured environment, executives may find themselves under pressure by their staff to speak out on an issue. If you do, how can you predict the reception of your message? Will it ring hollow or be taken out of context? Could you be alienating a large part of your audience or customers? Staying quiet, however, may have its own ramifications and may no longer be an option. Here today to help me answer that question is a former presidential advance man who has insider knowledge about shaping the issues from behind the scenes to now working as a strategic advisor, helping clients shape their message to the public. Anthony Hayes, founder of the Hayes Initiative, has been working in PR and communications in New York City with experience helping clients such as the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey during Superstorm Sandy and Bridgegate. Oh, to be a fly on the wall during that gig of his. He has crisis communications experience, strategy, and also experience helping his clients manage national media response. He's also worked on one of the most contentious presidential campaigns in American history. So you can see why Anthony is a perfectly timed guest to discuss what executives should know about speaking out on political and social issues. The timing of this planned interview for this week brought to a rather unplanned discussion for me and my guest because my guest, Anthony Hayes, was scheduled to speak with me really more about presidential matters leading up into the inauguration because he's a longtime PR political operative and he has so much experience. But with the events of what happened yesterday, the day of this recording at the United States Capitol, 
I had to move this interview up because I felt the listeners needed to hear from you, Anthony. Anthony, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I have to start here. You have more than, you know, you have many years in communications, crisis management. And on the years. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Anthony, mine's even longer. But what interests me the most right now is because you had a seat, like a literal backseat in presidential politics by working with Hillary Clinton in the Hillary for America. You were part of the national advance team. So my first question to you, uh, you and I are recording this on Thursday, January 7th. I'm sure by the time this this episode airs on Tuesday, the, everything will be upside down. I mean, who even knows? But Anthony, tell me, just first blush, what do you think about what happened? I mean, it's a challenging thing to, you know, listen, it's anybody who's worked on a campaign or a presidential in particular and let's say you're on the losing end, let's not put in 2016, but just, you know, it's <clears throat> it's a unique experience because you have spent so much of your life and so much energy and so much time fighting for something that you believe in. And like, while obviously I believe in and adore Secretary Clinton, um, you know, the reality is I believed in what we were fighting for. Um, and I think that that when you lose. And certainly in 2016, when we lost, I think part of why there was so much devastation, if you rewind to election day in 2016, um, and the day that the secretary gave her concession speech, there was a lot of devastation that everyone felt. And in large part, because I think everyone had their um, concerns about, is Donald Trump up for the job? Like, can he actually be president? And I think the reason that so many people felt crazed and what led to yesterday, which was obviously the assault on the Capitol, which I believe was the first time since 1821 that the Capitol had been breached. Um, So to see this today while we're talking and to sort of think about this now through that lens of being with the secretary on election day, putting her in the car, and then seeing the four years that sort of came after that, um, I have to say there's a little bit of me that is not surprised in the least that yesterday happened. Um, you, so. you in your on your Twitter account at um, Anthony J. Hayes, you were tweeting yesterday and a tweet you mentioned uh, that you that you wrote. He at real Donald Trump is not just unprepared. He is temperamentally unfit to hold an office that requires knowledge, stability and immense responsibility. That's a quote from Hillary. Oh my gosh, why am I stumbling on Hillary's name? Hillary <laughs> Clinton. I know, yeah. Hillary Clinton in 2016. Anthony, tell me how close were you to Secretary Clinton? Well, you know, I had the great fortune of being on the advance team. And so for those that don't understand advance, let me just sort of give a quick overview of that. So the secretary had her senior team and and the great people like Nick Merrill, Huma Abedin, all names that everybody's very familiar Now, let with. me just say, Huma. now, if I had time, I would go down to a whole other rabbit hole. I would want to know about Huma. I would want to know about Anthony Weiner. There's, see, you, Anthony, have probably so many stories that we could unpack 
but I will focus on the story of the moment and really at what was going on, you, you know, during that advanced team, I mean, certainly you yeah. had an inside, you had an inside knowledge, you know, firsthand knowledge of what was happening, but also about how Secretary Clinton almost predicted what was going to happen at the Capitol. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, again, <clears throat> I worked with such an enormous, enormously talented team. And I think it started from the top with the boss, which, of course, is Secretary Clinton. Um, and so, you know, the things that I tweeted yesterday were her words. Right. And so that's why it was easy to work for a leader who is so um uh, has the foresight to sort of see where things will go. Um, whether she could have predicted what happened yesterday at the Capitol, who knows? But I think she understood how dangerous Donald Trump's rhetoric in particular was. And since this is about communication and about words and how we do that, you know, I think the secretary, one of the things that I admire most about her and would have the pleasure of getting to see because, you know, the advance team arrives, for instance, just to give everybody a little background. So advance, they call and they say, hey, can you go to Iowa? We want to have the secretary come and do several things. And you really are the person that hits the ground two or three days, maybe a week before, and really sort of prep that prep her arrival and make sure that all the all of the she's going to see all the right people. Um, and, you know, needless to say, Secretary Clinton wants to make the most of every second. So we were very, very busy. Um, and so it was always fascinating to me as a communications professional, in particular, when she would sit down and sort of land and how, you know, those while we were working on logistics and making sure that things were set up and the presidential stagecraft was done correctly. But beyond that, watching her step into that and as a communicator, and as a world leader, her to choose her words so carefully, so so cautious to make sure that she's communicating in a way that is that is meaningful, thoughtful, and inclusive. Yes, and understanding that communications doesn't really have boundaries. It's not just Republicans or Democrats who communicate. Everyone communicates to everyone. So your point of view, even though you worked for a Democratic um, senator and also presidential candidate and first lady of a president, uh, former President Bill Clinton, you can look at communications how I do, almost apolitically. It's just yep. the the power of it. And, and you have that experience up front and up close of seeing the power of a candidate and how they react uh, to people um, in the public and and how and how they you know build their base. So certainly Donald Trump has his and Hillary Clinton certainly had hers. But what you and I are going to talk about today really is just such a byproduct of what happened um, on the Capitol grounds there. It's what leaders should know about speaking up on political issues, social issues, but also for their communicators, because they're the ones who are crafting the message. They're crafting the response. But the leaders are the ones who are, you know, putting their necks out on the line. So I wanted to ask you, you know, your advice. I mean, you've certainly had a lot of experience, too. You worked, you know, at the Port Authority as well in New York. I mean, talk about you're in the mix of it. Uh, so you have a lot of experience there. But, Anthony, um, share with me what are some of the key considerations when a leader or a CEO does choose to speak out? Like what, what would be a reason to speak out or not to speak out? 
Well, I think it's important to look at how we now expect our leaders, whether it's an organization or a company, to speak out. There is an expectation, you know, that that silence is not tolerated. Um, that that can be a blessing and a curse, right? Um, and I think there's lots of reasons. So, and I think that expectation comes not just from consumers and people who engage with said product or organization, it's employees. Because employees want to work in a place where they feel valued, seen, um, and that they understand that you know they're working for an organization that recognizes um, that these political and social issues impact their lives. So you're saying when you talk about stakeholders, so number one, it's when you are talking, when you are taking a stand and coming out to speak or not to speak, is your first audience your internal stakeholders, in your opinion, or just an important audience? I think it's a critical audience when you're talking about an organization because, right, they need to feel proud of where they work. They need to feel proud to walk through the doors and they want to understand, again, people want a holistic like approach to sort of life now with their work, right? Like we really have focused a lot on, on rebalancing that. And so employees need to know that their leader sees them and hears them and understands these big things are happening. What is the risk if an, if a leader does not speak out to the employee? Well, I think one of the big problems is, is that either a, they could feel, especially if the social or political moment that's happening, you know, right now. So for instance, to use Black Lives Matter as a real example, Black employees may have thought, do they not know that there are Black employees at this organization? Mm -hmm. And so the risk is not acknowledging sort of employees as, as a whole person right? You just sort of use them as a tool. And the reality is, is I think that if you don't speak out, I think at minimum, they're going to feel it's, they're not important enough to deserve a, a comment, number one, um, that the current political or social moment doesn't deserve a comment, even though probably a great many people feel like it does. Um, and then the other thing can be morale, which can lead to lack of productivity, which can lead to a whole source of acting out things. They come in late. They may feel less inspired. Mm -hmm. You know, you really have to understand when you're talking about um, internal communication to employees, I think it's easy to just sort of be like, put it in the newsletter and it'll be fine. Yeah. And it's like, maybe, <laughs> right. At a minimum, at a minimum. Yeah. But that's a tool and maybe that is the right tool mm -hmm. or maybe it's not the right tool because, you know, I think um, you and I have talked about this before we uh, got on this call. We sort of had a quick catch up and, and, and ultimately like someone that I have admired through a lot of this past year and four years has really been. Um, and again, I want to repeat to everybody who's listening. I don't have a contract here, so I have no reason to say any of the things I'm about to say. But Jamie Dimon at J.P. Morgan Chase is really somebody who as a leader has understood, in my opinion, these moments and spoke out both for his employees and both for the concept of what is good for the economy and business. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, Jamie, Jamie Dimon put out a, an internal communication to his employees before the 2020 election. And that to me is unheard of. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and if I were his, you know, I don't know if this is true, but if I were his comms team, I would sure certainly make sure a reporter found that because 
By the way, you know, I read something recently where they represent, I think, over half of the households in the United States of America and 400 of the Fortune 500. So when JP Morgan, Jamie Dimon speaks, everyone listens. Yeah, well, it has a global financial impact. And of course, of course. So um, employees being number one, and I'm so happy you said that because a tune that I changed in 2020 for me when I would talk about important stakeholders, when I was speaking in March of 2020 in New Orleans, I was talking about the importance of the consumer, your audience, your member, your customer, whatever it is. A month later, I shifted it to your internal stakeholder. I felt that that was the first stakeholder that you needed to think about in your communications. So let me, I I don't want to convolute this at all, but I do want to ask this. So number one, we're talking about their employees. We're talking about issues. We mentioned what happened in the Capitol, but you also mentioned BLM. 2020 was the year where I think more leaders than ever sat down and said, should we be talking about this? What do you think is the baseline? When does someone have to speak out? as opposed to when they should speak out? Well, I think one of the most important things that I always like to like look at is, you know, as especially when you're talking about companies, right? So let's just sort of, you know, the Warby Parkers or JP Morgan Chase, as I've already used as an example, or you're a company that you provide something. Um, so to me, I think it's a when things, when you have opportunities that present themselves that may, may, may be perceived as disruptions, whether that is, you know, obviously the political environment that we experienced yesterday at the Capitol, or whether finally, gratefully, there's real, um, real conversations happening, or, and I hope change, most of all, systemic change around Black Lives Matter. I think you have to approach speaking out as an organization based on who you already are. And so I think it's very important to not try to be what you are not. Um, and I'm a big believer in get your house in order before you speak, because if you are not, for instance, to, to stay with Black Lives Matter, and I think we saw many examples of this, everybody can smell empty words. Mm-hmm. You know, we really are a bit, I don't know if we're fully past it, but but people are not willing to indulge sort of what may have worked as quote spin back in the day, right? Where it's like, oh, we believe that everything is important. You know, it's like that sort of like very broad. People are wanting um, not necessarily for you to be something that you're not, but they are wanting what you are, what you are to be authentic. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's moving into your number two um, in terms of how to approach if you speak out on political or social issues. You talked about get your house in order, get prepared, find out who you are. Uh, when you mentioned a Warby Parker, their audience, certainly they're going to have their one ideal customer. You know, it's going to be a 36-year-old male who lives in New York City, you know, whatever it is. They have all their personas. But there are some organizations out there, some companies, certainly clients of mine, who aren't as like universal. They might just have local communities. They may be rural. They may be um, have a heavier conservative area. So a BLM issue, a Juneteenth issue, are they expected to speak out on those social issues as well? Or do they get a pass because perhaps the majority of their audience 
is that isn't something they necessarily would want or need or expect from your company. Yeah, it's a, it is a very complicated, you know, thing to thread. And, you know, for me as a member of the LGBTQ community, you know, I am a fan when people understand whether you're in a conservative place or it may not be sort of your typical quote social issue, but when you understand, I just think as an organization um, or someone who is offering something to the world and you want people to engage with you, I think it's important that you make it clear that you're open for everybody. Now, listen, there are clearly throughout time people that are not. Those aren't the people I'm talking about, right? Like the people who are just fully like, we don't like LGBTQ people or we don't like, that's not, that's just, I don't have any words for that. And just, I don't quite know what to say. And I think the world will take care of that on its own because I think we're moving toward real inclusive, like, engagement with the with consumers in particular but what i'm talking about is like people who understand that you know my favorite is like a dolly parton dolly parton has like the most remarkable way of communicating that she supports and loves everybody and that it's difficult and that it's complex but we should be respectful and so i think finding the way to thread that needle for organizations that may be in a more conservative place or may not be but I think what the biggest piece is, is being respectful and communicating respectfully. Because I think if you do that, people see that. But Anthony, you are you grew up in Oklahoma, correct? I grew up in Oklahoma, yeah. And now you live in New York City. I do. So New York City, for someone who you have an LGBTQ-owned business, yes. many of your, I would say, your friends, your colleagues, your world, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're enmeshed in it. Let's say you go back home to Oklahoma. Do you expect to see that same openness? I mean, certainly you may not, but do you notice the absence of it? Or are you saying it's okay? Oh, yeah. You do notice it. How does that make yeah. you feel? <clears throat> well, I, it is, it's, um, it continues um, to be isolating. And so I think what happens is, you know, it, it, you notice it because, there's no reason for it to be missing. Okay. I'm really. going to be very specific now. So let's say it's June, it. June, 2020 yeah. and June, 2020, we had two iconic moments for minorities. We had the Supreme yeah. court ruling. Um, mm -hmm. and then I don't even, I'm my, I'm conflating all my dates, but we had the Supreme court ruling, uh, that, that came out, uh, with regards to, um, LGBTQ and, uh, and, and work. And also you had BLM or on the heels, I think, right, of George Floyd. So you had the Black yeah. Lives Matter movement. More yeah. brands completely embraced, you know, the BLM movement. And I felt that the LGBTQ movement kind of got lost in there a bit, right? Because it's their, it's Pride Month, right? Like there's so much going on. But then since then, do you notice then the absence of it if some companies or brands might spend a lot of time on Juneteenth, for example, like if you're a leader wondering, huh, well, should we do something else? Because, you know, we may have LGBTQ employees like, so how does someone work around that? Yeah, listen, I think, I don't think one cancels out the other. I think that's the most important thing for everybody to realize is that recognizing Black Lives Matter and LGBTQ, are, they're not mutually exclusive. Right. You, you don't have to pick. 
you know, do you, you also think don't some have, did though. Well, I'm sure some did, yeah. and I think that I think the ones that are are really starting to sort of get called out on it um, and get called out on it pretty aggressively. Okay. So, like you know, for instance, I am a big believer in you know, as somebody who's been in the community my whole adult life and also worked for the Human Rights Campaign, which is the nation's largest LGBTQ advocacy organization. You know, I think Pride Month is wonderful. I think what corporations have done to embrace the LGBT consumer is great. And it also sometimes feels performative where, you know, of course you put up a pride flag. (laughs) That should be the absolute bare minimum that you've done, you know, but I guess now really sort of, and one of the things that you saw during pride is you saw people asking from an LGBTQ perspective, and at least within that community, about sort of how are we dealing inside the LGBT community with our systemic sort of racism that exists in the community. So there's the work that we're talking about and sort of what makes it so complicated for business leaders and everyone to communicate about this is it is incredibly complex. Mm -hmm. It is incredibly layered. And so what what is important is, is, in my opinion, is that you focus on being inclusive and, and moving toward action that demonstrates that LGBTQ people have a seat at the table in your company, that, you know, in your boards, you have diversity. Like there's there's work you don't necessarily you know, sometimes talk is cheap. And I think people are really seeing the companies that are like, well, wait a minute, why can't you guys sort of like reflect this over here who really have embraced it? And they do have a female CEO. And, you know, I think there's, there's actions people can take. Actions are communications. Oh, I like that a lot because of course, if you run an Apple store, you're Warby Parker. It's, it's easy to put, to say we support, you know, Pride Month. It's so easy. But what if you own a credit union in Oklahoma? Yeah. You know, are you putting out a, a pride flag, you know, in June, much less June, any other month? Are you even discussing it in any of your collateral whatsoever? But I like what you said about the actions. It's also yeah. what you do. Okay. So we've talked about employees. We talked about, you know, planning and and who you should be speaking to in your audiences. And again, it's, you know, a lot of it too is internal. What about the last piece when it comes to speaking out on political or social issues? I think it is so important that you demonstrate hope and a positive way forward, because I think one of the challenges, you know, most leaders like to communicate and lead from experience. And part of what 2020 was so difficult about is we didn't really have a lot of experience around everybody home, but keep working and school your children and, you know, Black Lives Matter and we need to do that in a meaningful, like, so leaders were struggling because they don't have experience. And I think sometimes communicating that you do see hope in where we are and you see hope in the fact that there is so much dialogue around whatever is happening. But I think it's critical that it not feel defensive, reactive, but in fact, it's sort of look at what you're offering and who you are as an organization as a hopeful place and a forward thinking place. Um, And that doesn't necessarily, that can take on many forms, but I think it's sort of in the, your communication team, whoever's writing your speech or writing your statement that you're going to release to the press 
they need to think about like when this is done, how are are they going to feel hopeful? Are they going to feel feel like well they checked the box? Like are you just checking a box, or are you being hopeful? Mm-hmm. And I really think people are looking for that, especially I mean. Good Lord, after what we've experienced and how, you know, what we experienced yesterday at the Capitol. I think everybody's wanting that. And it also allows a place for the gap, which is if a leader doesn't have the answer. Yes. They don't know what to do or they don't know what the right answer is. You just acknowledge that we don't know and are going to be dealing with, you know, we're going to approach this the same way that we approach everything we don't know. We're going to be thoughtful. We're going to, we're going to move to action when we do know. But, you know, I think that it is all too often they, everybody wants to have this like silver bullet around some communication. And the reality is sometimes there's not. And people respect when someone comes out and says, we don't know all the facts yet. We're going to find them out. Once we find them out, we're going to communicate them with you. I mean, you've been, you worked at FEMA, you know that it's like, sometimes you don't know where you are and you have to pause. And that's why I say, take a beat, slow down. Yes. Everybody's wanting you to comment. Yes. Everybody's wanting you to be out there. And yes, you probably should. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So with all your experience, I have to ask you this. So yesterday, there's two examples of organ of businesses who spoke out, okay, about yep. what happened um, at the Capitol. I'm going to give you two examples, and I want to get your opinion, and then we'll come back for the big, the big thing, the last big thing that you're going to leave us with. Um, one that happened that it was a press release that came out on January 5th, and it was from the CEO of the company, Rave Restaurant Group, that owned Pizza Inn. I don't know if you saw this or not, but Pizza Inn, known as America's hometown pizza place, um, said that uh, the CEO came out and started weighing in on democracy, the voting process, and what and and how we have to restore the integrity of our system. You and I would not know the CEO of Pizza Inn if we stumbled across him on the street, but I think we know who he is. What do you yeah. think about a large hometown pizza place coming out with a statement, which by the way, has been pulled, <laughs> but what do you think about that? Like if you worked for the CEO, what would you do? What is your response to this? Well, you know, there's several things, you know, one, why does he feel the need to would be my question to him. If I was sitting in front of him, like what, what do you feel that is, what do you feel you're adding to the dialogue and how does this benefit the people who engage with you daily? Like, are you hearing, I, you know, so he, he obviously answered that and decided to weigh in or he decided to use his platform. And so I I think that you really do have to ask that question of like, why do you feel like you are are needed to weigh in here? Now, I don't know if you saw this, but 170 business leaders sent a letter to Congress or basically a a short letter that got posted. Um, Yeah. But so, so the idea that we're in a time, this is the point of like why it's so complicated and why sort of you really have to like think before you speak. They felt so strongly that Congress was going to make a mistake that was going to impact the business world by not certifying the election of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, 
that they, they, I, I don't know a time where in my lifetime, at least I have never seen 170 business leaders sign on to a letter to Congress. First of all, urging them to do what we've done for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So jaw dropping. And, and for this pizza, the pizza and CEO, I, honestly, I, I think that we're in a place where people are speaking up. And the thing that I would have encouraged him to do or have thought about is make sure it is adding value, value to your employees and value to your customers. Anthony, of all the of all the gold nuggets you have dropped in this interview, that is one of my favorite that you said. What you would say is, why do you need to weigh in? What value is this statement? bringing out to the table. That's fantastic. Okay. Then let me ask you your opinion on this last one. Um, Burger King. Did you happen Hmm. to see the tweet by Burger King? They came out. uh, It just happened two hours ago. So it's fine. If you don't know, if you don't sit on Twitter all day, like I do, Uh, but Burger King, one of those fast food chains, you know, fast food chains do an amazing job on social media. Uh, They tweeted out with the old, in with a new classic hashtag new profile pick. What do you think of that tweet? I mean, on some level, like, right. Like we live in a meme world. Ugh. <laughs> Both, ugh, and right? and I'm, I'm the biggest consumer. So I really am being totally in a glass house. So all that noise is glass shattering around me. Yeah. But like, I, I really, I think it's funny. I think it is all, by the way, I also think it's hopeful, which I said earlier that I think we need to be, we need to move forward. I think based on what everyone has experienced, certainly in the last year, I think for the last four years, but that's a whole other topic and another podcast, but like people want hopeful and they want to move forward. I think they did that in a funny way. I think it speaks to their voice. I think it sounds like them. You know, I think it, and, and I don't think it, I also don't think it's really disrespectful. Right. So Anthony Hayes, I just, ra- I just ran it through the Anthony Hayes filter to check. Does the Burger King tweet work? So one, you're thinking about your employees. What would your employees think of this? I would think many Burger King employees would applaud this tweet, this meme-like tweet, which I love. The second is who is your audience? Who are you speaking to? Take a beat before you speak. It was a, you know, this came out a day after they didn't do it the day of, I think it would have been crass if they did it yesterday afternoon, they took a beat, right? And three, just like you said, it is hope and positive for the future. They're just saying, moving moving on. It's not a direct dig. It's not direct shade. Well, we'll call it shade. It's not a direct dig, but it's shade. It's a little shade, but it's okay. (laughs) Yeah, but but that runs through the filter as opposed to the pizza in press release, which certainly does it. Oh my God. Well, and, and really quick, the one thing I would add is what it doesn't do to your point of the timing of it is I think people notice when you're taking advantage of a crisis. News jacking. Yes. 100%. Mm-hmm. I love that news jacking. Yes. And they, and Burger King, in my opinion, almost timed it you know, almost to the minute because it's not just jumping in in the fray of what happened, but it's the timing of the conversation of, is someone going to mention the 25th Amendment? We're going to go down the 25th Amendment route. Are we talking about impeach though, where there's not enough time for uh, an impeachment, but still they're weighing in. 
with an opinion, yeah. they're saying it's time to go. So that's it's time. yeah, perfectly it's timed. Time oh my gosh. But speaking of things not being perfectly timed, I could talk to you for a day. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I have to have you back on the podcast at some point because I think there's so many things that we, that we could speak about. Um, but Anthony, what's the big thing, like the takeaway from not just the episode today, but over these last 48 hours. And again, because this is airing on Tuesday, we're going to say over the course of the past, you know, four or five days, what would be a big takeaway for a leader from a small to mid-sized business who's really grappling and struggling with this idea of um, how do you manage a crisis? What do I say? Do I weigh in on these social and political issues? What would you say? So I'll give you three quick things. Yep. 2021 will be all about crisis communication. Oh, Continue. hallelujah, brother, about that. Well, what about it? Meaning it's always going to happen or you should be prepared? No, you. yeah. So ultimately, I believe everybody needs to revisit or write a crisis, communica a crisis communication management plan. And if you haven't written one, boy, what is wrong with you? Right. But I would use 2020 as like examples of what didn't go well. And then most of all, I would encourage people to determine... How does the disruption, how can the dis, this disruption that's happening, whether it's, you know, social justice, whether it's, you know, COVID, no matter what the disruption is that you're being asked to speak out on that you normally wouldn't, how can you use it as an opportunity to communicate, to accelerate or to cut things that aren't working? So- PR that's my people opinion. know that, like that's really that, that baked in, gold piece of, um, you know, just that gold piece of knowledge that we know is it's almost like, um, Lord of the Rings, like, you know, precious in the middle of it, which is there's always an opportunity from a crisis, whether it's someone else's or yours, there's always yeah. an opportunity to come out of that. That's hope. 100%. Right. You have to find hope. Well, Anthony, I hope that you will join me again on this podcast because I really enjoyed speaking with you. So um, if you want more inf information about Anthony Hayes, uh, you can find him. I love that you have the Hayes Initiative. As far as branding names go, Anthony, um, I love that. So you can find him at the Hayes Initiative and certainly on uh, Twitter as well. Anthony, thank you. Thank you so much. This was great. My thanks to Anthony for joining me on the podcast this week. To learn more about Anthony, about crisis management and reputation management, he has a training website called PR Tips from a Pro. It's filled with lessons, advice, and information for how to work with Anthony and his team at the Hayes Initiative. You can find the link in the show notes. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter where I extend the learning from the episode by tweeting response tips based on the week's topic. Look for my take of leadership communications. I'm sure there will be plenty of examples of leaders who nail their response this week or who fail at it. Look for hashtag response tip on Twitter at Molly McPherson. That's all for this week. We'll see you again next week. Bye for now.